Hi, this is Hannah Porter, and you are listening to Drinks with Tony. And on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Hannah Porter. She is the author of The Seat. She's also, also the author of the play Leap and the Net. And she lives in Brooklyn. Hi, Hannah. Hi. So nice to talk to you, Tony. And I'm so, I got your name right, right? Yes, Hannah Porter. Good now, job. Yeah, because it looks like Chana, which then, then I sound like a Valley Girl when I'm doing it. But I think when people are in the bookstore, they, they'll they'll be like they'll think like I did in my head. I was like Chana, and you're like no, no. Hannah with a ha, <laughs> like challah bread. Um, we were talking about San Francisco because the couple in the book lives in Bernal Heights, and I was like. I've been Bernal Heights for years. Wait, what's your relationship with San Francisco? Well, I'm 35 now, and I started going out there and spending time when I was around 19. A bunch of good friends of mine live out there. Um, for a minute, I thought I would maybe do a graduate program at um, San Fran State. They have a good playwriting department, and I think of it as like my alternate timeline place. Really? Like, yeah, I can imagine myself there. I mean, now it's very changed. Um, in terms of what it was like when I went and I spent, I went like several tri- 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 trips there, yeah. my teens, 20s, and I still go. Uh, yeah, but I like, like it a lot, and I thought that it would be kind of the perfect setting for one, this like age of a Aquarius feeling that the book has, but also that. It is such like a rapidly gentrifying place and so much of like what people love about um, being in the Bay is starting to disappear that I thought that it would be a good kind of hot spot to talk about these things in my book. And you live in Brooklyn now. I was in Brooklyn a few months ago for for the first time actually to explore it for a couple weeks and I loved it. I'm like, I want to live here. I I don't know what the hell happened to me. I just, I got the, I got off the plane. I went, okay kissed the ground and went, I, I feel this place. That's funny because I'm feeling that about your home. Yeah. Um, and to tell the truth, I am doing a little bit of a bi-coastal thing now. Um, since I sold the book and um, quit all my other little jobs, I have been spending more and more time out in LA. And, you know, we're sitting outside in a cafe now. It's the heart of winter. I'm wearing sandals, and um, I don't feel like I have a lot to com- complain about. Yeah, I think if the only if I was really going to do it, I would be um, winter in LA. You know, spring in uh, spring in uh, on the East Coast. Um, June. June there is so nice. Okay. Well, the other thing is that people really feel it. So you go out there. I had a play there last June, and it was just like walking through the park. There's couples kissing under street lights. It's just like everyone is so glad to be wearing short sleeves. You really feel it. You feel like collectively that the city is like in bloom. It's so nice. Now, there's something sexy about that if you're like if you're in the depths of winter and you can't wear your sandals all the time. See, like we're in LA. This is, it's almost like it's too normal. I feel like there's, um, there, there's a, with the seasons, there's a blossoming where, so when it's like this outside, you will want to kiss your girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. 
See, this is why I thought that maybe you were a Jew, because you seem to appreciate suffering, and I do too, you know? So I just wanted to know about that. So I think that maybe Brooklyn is your cultural home, be it not your ethnic, you know? It's calling. Yeah, you got me pegged so (laughs) well there. Yes, I got this. I got this suffering thing that uh, that uh, I don't know if I should enjoy it or it's just there. I don't know, but I do kind of like the juxtaposition of things. Yeah. And 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 Brooklyn just feels great. I don't know. The creative juices feel good there. Creative juices are rad in L.A. too. There's the both of them are just they just feel like they're sparking right now. Well, and I think that we're creatures that like change. So, I don't know how... Are you born and bred in L.A.? Uh, San Francisco. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, doing something that will make you feel alive is always a good choice. And a big move can be a thing for that. L.A. felt like a big move because I was living like in Bernal Heights and then Mission District and then the Tenderloin. So I didn't have a car for like 13 years. And to come down here, it just I it was a culture shock. But I had to just sit there and go, pretend like this is a European city. Get out the fanny pack. Be a tourist. And and then it it turned and I really liked it. So how long ago was that? That was six years ago. So you're relatively new still. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I'm definitely like, yeah, uh, like I only follow baseball and I hope the Dodgers die like the scum they are. And and I, yeah, and it just, and it disgusts me. I even say that because I hate being a jock, but that's the only thing I really follow. Uh, My partner has a seven year old child who is a jock and (laughs) my partner is not a jock and I'm not a jock and, but we're just like going to Saturday morning baseball practice now and things like that. Yeah. It's very strange. So I know a little bit about this now. Like I know who Cody Bellinger Uh is, whereas for a long time I was like Dodgers is that, that's a base baseball (laughs) team, not a basketball team. Yeah. Did you grow up in New York? Where, uh, where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Baltimore. Oh, okay. Um, John Waters. Yeah. I, I don't know. John Waters is like the patron saint of Baltimore. Because you say Baltimore, I just think John Waters. It's true. And he uh, seems like a lovely person. I'd love to meet him at some point in time. Uh, my family is like Brooklyn and East New New York, if if you know that uh, part of town. So most of my cousins and like my great grandmother stayed there. I like grew up going to see her on Staten Island. So I moved there in um, 2009, but I had already been there many many times. So you already had your people there. See, when I go there, I just got some friends that migrated out of San Francisco. And that's it. I got my I got my weirdos that are out there. I have a cousin who he's like 55. He looks like he should be like in a mob film. He's a big guy with a deep, thick Brooklyn accent. He is the most tender, like loving person, and he's helped me move probably eight times now. We all so. Are, do you move a lot when you like right now? Have you once? How long have you been in the place you're at? 
Um, I've been in the place where I'm at now five years, but well, that, that's like that's a long stretch in Brooklyn, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's a LA has its problems too, but it seems like there's better um, laws being passed now in terms of uh, rent stabilization and that kind of stuff. But yeah, there was a period where I moved like every nine months. Because the, the other thing that you don't think about, it seems like such a cliche, but I lived with some, and I don't say this in like a pejorative, flippant way, like I lived with some crazy people. Yeah. So there were a few times where I was like, I gotta get out of this place. I've lived with crazy people and I've been married to crazy people. <laughs> well, no, it's, <laughs> that was rude. Well, she had person, split personality disorder. That's why I say plural. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, wow. I'm digging myself into a hole here. Help me Tony. out. Tony. <laughs> well, okay. This is, if you want to get into that, um, as a divorced person. Are you divorced too? Book? No, no. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Did the book. Um, my paperwork is processing, but oh, right. yeah, I wrote. Oh, you're book. freshly divorced. You look so calm for being freshly divorced. Wow. I like, I went instantly gray. Like it was just like, boom. Um, I mean, the way that we uncoupled was not, um, there was not a lot of drama. And so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't good in the way that I think it's, um, it's hard and it's sad, but we didn't really fight about it. And that was part of the problem. That divorce sucks, even if it's great and it's all for all the right reasons, and you do it friendly. It's still awful, and then yeah. so then add the other elements, and it just takes it to a whole new level. Well, congratulations! Congratulations on your divorce. I usually congratulate people because it's um, it usually was a problem that needed to be resolved, and that's the resolution a lot of the time. Well, it's funny because I so I started writing this book in 2013, and then I. Um, sold it pretty much as soon as I left my spouse and yeah is that part part of the alimony no (laughs) no Uh, no Uh, but uh, you got away with one there (laughs) Tony oh god but I do think that there's something about I was writing this book that was so much about like loss and grief and about two people that love one another a ton and then find that they've like walked to the end of their path and they're both sad about it um and i write in a very subconscious way so it was very funny to me that it's like i got to the you know 200th draft like i wrote this book and i wrote it again and again and again and then i like realized what the book was about which is partially about me as it all is it was mere. It, so it, was it almost like foretelling the future or like guiding you? It, it was ahead of where you were in your life path? Yes, totally. Yeah. I know. And now I read certain parts of it in a very different um, way. Uh, they hit me differently, but... I like that that the story is not about um, like the two women in the book, Deba and Trina. They do really love each love each love each other, um, and they've 
grown enough in a certain way that they like cannot stay with each other. Um, and there's something very sad about that, but I don't know. Do you think that marriage in its current state, one, is impossible, two, would be possible if our lives were significantly l- longer? Um, I think, well, I think I still am cool with marriage. And if, you know, if I got, if I, I could see myself getting married again, and I wouldn't think twice about it. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, but I'm the kind of guy that, I mean, I mean, m- monogamy is almost too much. <laughs> I'm like, I got enough on my own. <laughs> so, like, so, uh, you know, I, I'm currently in a relationship right now, and I'm like, I couldn't even fathom beyond that. So, yeah, um, I don't know. I'm, But I grew up in a weird religion, too, and I'm always a romantic at heart, so... I think in the and I always thought that marriage was gonna be was gonna save me because in this religion they're kind of make it Jehovah's Witnesses, so um, and then but then I I've had to I had to get a different relationship to my thoughts of what marriage was, um, so here we are, discussing it. See, I'm I'm very much in love with my partner now, and I have trouble. Um, with the idea of making choices for my future self. Like, if I hadn't have already been married, I would marry my partner. But I feel like it's amazing to me. I have friends now who are on marriage number two, marriage number three. And part of it is, like, I applaud the fact that they're so... They have such, like, hope. Yeah. And not to say that I don't, but I I feel there's something... um. It's a creepy feeling for me to not understand a choice that I made with my whole heart. Because I wasn't one of those people who, like, had doubts about getting married and I pushed through. I had none. Like, I was so in to it. And then we changed, the marriage changed, I changed, he changed... So I, 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 I feel puzzled by, um, like, this dichotomy of wanting to commit to things because I think it's important to, like, dig in and let, let things, like, grow and be, be there and at the same time, like, making such a deep choice for my future self, who I can't know, you know? So I've, I'm liking to say now that I'm, like, married to myself and I'm going to be the great love of my life. Yeah. And I'm all about, like, getting to know this Hannah babe. Yeah. <laughs> Who I get to spend all this time around. Hannah babe, I love it. Sound, do I sound like your former spouse? Do I sound a little no, dissociative? No, 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 no. No, it, sound, it, sounds, it sounds perfect because I had to, I put a stop, for me, I had to put a stop to dating and relationships. I had to just go, I had to stop it and go, look, I'm blaming other people for this, you know, this thing that seems to be a pattern with me and my choices. What is wrong with me? And then I had to sit back and go, what is wrong with me? And then, you know, and then I found out there's a lot wrong with me. <laughs> and then it's just like, oh, wow, there's even more wrong with me. And you kind of, you dive, dive deeper and deeper. And then, and then it kind of gets to the point where, oh, cool. Um, well, who's someone that has the, kind of the same wrong shit going on and we can wrong together? I, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I think in its, like, best manifestation, I love the idea of, like, relationship as this 
place of like where all of your stuff gets to be played out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's n- n- nice. My partner now, he has a um, previous marriage too. And when we fight, we do a lot of like, I say things like, here's now where I in the past would be taking all of the blame, agreeing with everything that you say, trying to smooth this all down, and then resenting you secretly when this is done. And then he says stuff like, here's where I feel myself wanting to be like defensive and like kind of gaslight you and make this all into your fault. And like... It's nice that we've both, like, done enough work on ourselves that, uh, you know, I, like, still feel these things coming, and then I just have to talk about them because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to, one, I don't want to let this, like, really wonderful relationship crumble because, like, I'm scared to be wrong or to be vulnerable or to be mad or any of that stuff. Yeah. It's amazing to like identify it in the moment because I mean, there's you know, I remember when I was younger and you know, I was in a marriage. It's like, and you you can see the you can see a problem go from like two to ten, you know, and it's because, and then we just we realize we got this weird baggage on us, and so it's so like, it's it's so fun and but hard at the same time to go wait a second, okay, this is why I'm feeling this, this, and this, and how I would have done it. And then now let's talk about the issue. And then we we all have so much baggage. But at the same time, it's experience, too. Experience is kind of fun. Baggage and experience. Can we put them both in the same? Totally. And I think that, like, I mean, there's a, there's a quote from the book that I really love. And it's something like, um, memory is Im- embodied l- learning. I really like that. This idea that um, it's just so great that we do things and we remember them and that I'm allowed to like not like tread the same path and make the same mistakes again and again and again because it's totally what you 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 were saying like you can find a new partner or you can move to a new city and the the thing that's going to stay is that like you're going to be there and you're going to be, like, doing your same yeah. shit, yeah. you know? It, it's like we can't run away from ourselves. We have to work on ourselves. And and I, I don't, you know, I hate to say the word fixing, but, I, you know, it's almost like tweaking because I don't think we're ever going to be fixed. It's just like I feel like we, like, fine-tune it more and more even though, you know, we're all insane at the same time. Well, and then I think you have to, like, celebrate the things about you that are specifically yours and then it's not about like finding someone who like wants core things about you to change you know like what is something that you want to grow and what is something that's like this is I mean when I wasn't writing full time and I'm really really lucky and glad to be writing full time right now I had these million little side jobs, and it was a con- conflict um, because my f- former partner, 
I think he would have liked me to have more of like a steady quote unquote grown up job where I like went to the same place every day. And I get that, that we live in like the constraints of capitalism and healthcare and all of that stuff. But I don't think I'm ever going to be the person who has the type of job where I like go to the same place every single day. So I think that there's like a there's like a knowing my my myself quality and like knowing what I bring to the table which is like when I work a bunch of different jobs like that's something that I crave and I enjoy and I think like part of being a writer I would love for you to talk about this and too is that I like going into other people's homes and lives and I mean, I've, like, had so many weird jobs, but they all, it's like, it's like I get to be a little detective, but it it wouldn't be the same. I don't think that my writing would be the same if I was, like, going to a nine-to-five, you know? Oh, yes, I know all too well. And I th- and at the same time, I think it's really hard to be in a relationship with a writer. It's like, at the same, I, I realize from my past, I'm just like, you know, I go, I apologize. You know, it's like, come up front and go, look, I apologize. I'm a writer. We're going to have some issues. <laughs> well, here's the other thing, which is like, I have always thought that I was going to be successful, which is sort of an insane thing to be around, especially your partner when they're not, you know, I was turned down and rejected from stuff for such a long time. Yeah. But I just always thought that I, I was going to be really successful. And I really, like, believed in my plays and I believe in my books. And it just, like, it never stopped. I had never an intention to, like, try it for a certain amount of time and then, like, pivot. I had no backup plan. So I was, like, a nanny and a yoga teacher. And I worked at a summer camp, and um, I just, like, did a bunch of weird things for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think that that's a very frustrating, I, I, like, could see how that would be, like, an annoying presence in a relationship. <laughs> well, and it's not, it's, it's so not the narrative of most people's lives they, that they... People really like the structure of a nine-to-five job, and they like clocking in. I can't even fathom clocking in. I'd, I'd rather work 12 hours a day on something I love than four hours a day of punching in and in a weird hierarchy of a corporation. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't... Um, I tried to explain to him at one point, and this is me being, like, I suppose maybe very hyperbolic, but I was like, I would rather do erotic massage or something like I I would rather like jerk people off all day like I was just trying I was what 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 wasn't saying that I was going to do that even though I don't think that there's anything wrong with that but like I was trying to explain that I cannot do this other thing I don't want to and it's amazing that I like have the flexibility and I have the choice I'm only responsible to myself. I don't have any children. Like, you, you know, I don't have very far to fall. So we just had these fights all the time about, like, safety. Um, 
and safety and finances yeah. is that oh, okay yeah, yeah. yeah and it's still you know I'm excited to sell my next book so I can get on better health care like my health care now like I have it but it's bad yeah. you know like there's things but it's fine you know uh, yeah it just feels like I mean, I hope that we live many, many times, but this might be the only life that I have. Like, how, how do you want to spend your time? It's all about time. I've, that it's, it, you know, between time and money, that's like, you know, yes, I would, you know, yes, I want to live comfortably. Yes, you know, we can kick up the money at the same time. You know, my, I want my time well spent. And that's why I love, I, I just love everything about storytelling. And I get, I get the... I get to live this weird life where I can just talk to you and with a microphone. It's so much fun. It's, this is this is way better than you know what I could what I what I have done. Is you know I used to work warehouse and room service and I've had every job on the planet. Like, must have seen some stuff in the room service. A little bit, um, yeah. And it, well, that's when I was still a Jehovah's Witness at the time, and I and there were times when uh, women would call back down and invite me up to their rooms and but I was so scared I was just like oh, I can't I can't you know and um, you know I, it's just hilarious to think back and the the young me when the, these like you know women who I thought were like really older and they were like 22 you know I'm like oh wow crazy <laughs> oh my god yeah wait so how did you find me how did you find my book I was walking down the street, uh-huh. and no, I'm kidding. Uh, no, your publicist got in contact with me. Oh, okay. Oh, Monica's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's they 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 uh, they give me the rundown of what's coming out, and I go, that looks interesting. So, and that's essentially how it works with this. And are you like a sci-fi person? Do you read sci- sci-fi? Well, I re- I like your sci-fi because it's light. Um, anything that's got a lot of rules to it that where I'm where. What I like is character. So anything that's got a character's journey, I when I teach classes, I'm always I say every book is sci-fi because you have to build a world, even if it's literary fiction. You are world building. You're world building a family, or you're world building. Everything's world building. So yeah. So I just assume everything's sci-fi, and just dive into it. And it's the but like this like your book is a little like okay, this is just a little more world building than literary fiction. But we're still really on the characters. We're not, we're not worried about the rules, and we're not going. You know, if, if I got to think about too many rules, then I'm out. That's that's how I roll. Totally. The um, I like the idea of the seep though, and it, it's it's an escape. I I was I was thinking about the seep, um, as it is in the book, and that it almost feels like I sit there. This, I logged onto like Facebook, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm doing a seep. <laughs> I, I, just because it, the seep is almost like a um, this for the listeners, the seep is the aliens, and they're in the the water supply, and so uh, and it gives people escape, and so now all of a sudden I'm like, am I doing a seep? Like seep has entered my um, my consciousness. Is oh my god, am I seeping? Oh, it's going to be a verb. <laughs> Somebody said to me that she thought that the seep was what I have done so when the when you read the book you've been seeped now which I really enjoy yeah Yeah, I mean it's about like a disembodied consciousness yeah Yeah. 
Which aren't we all to some point where we have to have like cognitive dissonance of what's going on? I mean, if we really sat here and thought about the chaos of humanity and why we're even alive, we'd. Well, I'm kind of having a panic attack now thinking about it. So we'll put you through it. But it's just, it's just, we have to have some type of cognitive dissonance and trust, I guess. Well, it seems like the things I'm working on. Well. I don't know about cognitive dissonance. I don't think we can hold the sum of all of what's happening now to humanity at the same time, you know? Um, Because, like, the sum totality of it is, like, a lot of horror and a lot of atrocity, but also, like, so much beauty and so much love and so much synchronicity and... um, I think the and so much like banality yeah. all at the same time. Oh, and banality is so nice. I, I just I want to cuddle with banality. Why do you like banality? I just I I I embrace um I embrace the the the, the boredom and the nothingness. Uh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. The quotidian. <laughs> yeah. Um when did you what no, you've been writing plays? And then you have the novel. What, what was the beginning? When did, did you start writing? Was it plays? Was it poetry? When, what, how did this start and when did it start? Well, so I'm a person who stutters and I stuttered a lot more when I was a child, but I still like go through periods now where I have like a much more kind of blocked speech time. Today is a very like breezy speech day for me, which is nice. I have a bunch of things that I got to talk out. So I enjoy that. Um, Yeah, so I think I wonder if I hadn't have had this like fraught relationship with speaking, if I maybe would have like gone down a different path. Um, But writing and creativity and storytelling to me has just always been something that I hugely cared about, like since I was very small. So I wrote when I was a kid, I wrote when I was a teen, I wrote, and it was cute, when I was um, probably around 16, I said that I was writing poems, but that they had to be read by different people, like different people had to read different parts. So I was writing plays, and I didn't understand that I was writing plays, because um, like the plays that I write now are... Uh, some of them are quite strange and language based like that poetry at that time poetry quote unquote Um, so when I got to college it was pretty much like a straight shot I went to a very crunchy really amazing liberal arts college called Hampshire College in Massachusetts no grades really? yeah and it's, it's all like a so did you pass? I did. I did. I Do people can people fail there or no? Okay, cool. Um a lot of people cuz cuz writing's failure. Well, so you don't get a grade, you like get a written out full page of oh. what you were like in every part of class. Like if you spoke enough, if you maybe talked over people and took up too much space. Like I think that it's a yeah. So I did because it's 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 part of the five colleges there. It's part of um, Smith and Mount Holyoke and Amherst College, 
and you're allowed to take things at all of those others. So I did get grades because I, you know, it's a very tiny college and it's set up in such a way that you can't just stay there. You have to get on like the bus that links all these spots up, which is free, which is really cute. And you have to go and you have to take classes. Um, so I took something like nine classes at Smith. Like I really cued, cued into Smith. Um, but I took classes at pretty much every other college in that part of town, and it was great. So I did get some grades, but um, I really liked it in terms of I had to de- design my own major. Everybody does, and then you have to like make a plan. Yes. Um, so for me, in terms of you know, it's just so telling in terms of uh, what we were talking about, like having a nine to five and that kind of thing. I like designed my own program of study. I'm like a self designer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed that, and I took a lot of theater classes there. But I took all kinds of things. Like I took some agriculture classes. That was like a thing that I was very crunchy. I'm crunchy now, but then I was very, very. And I think that's something I do in the book too. I I like poke loving fun at different like communes that I was a part of or like collectives that I've done things and yeah. you, you, have you ever done anything like that? I was a Jehovah's Witness. Oh, so Jehovah's so I, w- I was in the ultimate commune where you were all going to die at Armageddon and I was going to go on Paradise Earth and I couldn't wait. No, no, I, I could wait. I Yeah, anyway. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it must be nice to f- have that sense of like faith so strongly. It, it is when you're when you're in. Well, uh, it's yeah, it's brutal. Um, yeah, they. I mean, they they. It's brainwashing right away. So they they really keep you down. Um, there's really no self-expression. Everything's yeah. So that but but the act that uh, the the faith thing is kind of cool. Like bringing together people in the similar faith, and you're so strongly devout. So there was a little bit of joy to that. But beyond that. Um, yeah, it was, you know, you come out of it and it's, it's a mind fuck. Wow. Well, I go to a very nice temple in Los Angeles and you can come and ex- explore your new Jewish ba- ba- background. I, I used to do stand up like maybe about 14 years ago. I didn't, not, not in this any grandiose way that I, I, I had a, maybe a 15 minute set after a couple of years, but all of my comedian friends were Jewish, so they called me the Jew wish of the group. So I, as the Gentile, I was the Jew wish. I could see that. Yeah. So um, I wrote plays in college, and I pretty much stayed with plays. And I um, moved to NYC in 2009, um, and I really was like, I'm going to be the most, because I, I like really have always thought highly of myself in this department. So I was like, I'm going to be, you know, I would get together with people and let them like walk all over me. Like I didn't think highly enough of myself in that okay. department, but I really was like, I'm great at this. I'm going to write. Yeah, yeah. I had like con- confidence for two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do, do you feel like, I mean, because I've had that, I mean, I do that too. I have delusional thinking. The projects I'm working on right now, I'm already accepting my Emmys. <laughs> it's just like, and no one's even looked at it yet. So do, do you think that's that's good for us? 
You know, I think that it's really great as long as you temper that with a healthy dose of other things too. One, I like to think about, um, you know, this is something that like runners sometimes talk about with the Olympics. They like visualize that they're at the like starting gate and they're like, I'm the best person. Like I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do it and it's gonna be great and I'm gonna fly. Like I really think that, because it takes me a long time to finish these projects too and if I wasn't kind of psyching myself up all the time and because you do get so much in terms of rejection and just having to like pivot um, I think that that quality is really important but what I've started to learn now is that me thinking that I'm the greatest and me thinking that I'm terrible those are two sides of the same coin you know and that's like you being out of balance yes So the thing that I like to do now is I like to think like, because some of the times I'll read something of mine and I'm like, this is, I don't know if this is going to be meaningful to another person, but like, I think that it's very cool and I want to read it and I'm going to write the book that I want to have out there. And that's really all I can do. Like, I can't be the best Tony you know, you can be the best in Tony. I can only be Hannah and I can only bring all of my like weird stuff to that. And writing from and like living from that point of view, I think is just uh, what I can bring and I can't do anything other. So getting that now and being then it becomes like I'm not actually in competition with anyone in terms of like their life or did they get the prize did I get the prize did they get the job did I get the job blah 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 it's like I'm in competition or not competition I'm in like a discovery process with myself so I'm really liking thinking about it from this point of view but I am very glad that I did have such stark belief in myself but I think I'm one of those like weirdos who I learned what I wanted to do when I was very young and I just like, you know, for better or not, like stuck to it for a long time. So I started writing books in 2013. No. Yeah. Yeah. In 2013. This is my first. It took me a long time. But because I was mad that no one was producing my plays. So it was like, like a frustration pivot Um, and I'm proud that I've still I I still write plays I still plan to write plays Um, I plan to write books at the same time and theater is a very tricky weird thing I still don't feel like my career in terms of that is where I think I deserve it to be I think if you were to take a poll of most playwrights in America, I think they would be saying like a very similar thing. Um, so in terms of like systemic problems with like theater and how the artists feel and why there's this mass movement now for playwrights to be writing for TV, like that could be a whole other podcast. 
But um, have you have you thought about writing for TV? You know, I have, and I would do it if it was like a really special project um, that I felt like I could bring something very unique to. Because I am super character driven which I think is really important. And, like, I'm a sci-fi nerd. Like, I've watched, like, every Star Trek episode. So I think that, like, people who, like, know all the well-trodden tropes and genre, but also are always coming at from, like, a character-driven point of view, like, those aren't always the same. So I think that I would have a lot to bring in terms of that. But I also, it's the same kind of thing. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, waste my precious time on something that um, I don't really care about. So if I'm going to do it, it's going to be really cool. And then I also think I have this superpower now of, you know, if you write a novel, like, I like that. I like spending years in my brain and not everybody can, like, do that. Not everybody can, like, sit down and get it done. So now I think that, like, there's some talks about, like, the seep. If that's going to be made into something, that would be really cool. I hope that it does. But is it best served by... Am, am I best served by giving the books that I write to other people? maybe that's the path and I continue to write the books because not everyone can spend 10 hours alone every single day but I can that um it's it's interesting the uh what I like about the book going to adaptation is as the author we always have the book so we it's like we even if people don't like the film we can go steer them back to the book um I was very involved with the film of, that was based on my first novel, so I was so involved with it. It, uh, it brought me to almost like a total breakdown. Did you write the screenplay? Yeah, I wrote the screenplay. I was on set, a story consultant, and um, and it was intense. And I'd never want to do that again, but I'm glad I did it because I, I the final cut I like. So it's which is rare. I do, it's very rare for authors to like the final cut to their adaptations, which I found once you're hanging out down here and you start to talk to authors who've been in the same situation, they'll tell you face to face and then, but they'll never tell you on the mic that they hated it. So, yeah. I mean, it's funny because I think my years as a playwright now, I do have a level of like detachment that I think you have to, because when I write a script, because a play is not a play is the play but the script is not done like the the the, the script needs all these other people in the yeah. way that like a f- film script yeah. so or screenplay as it's so called yeah, yeah, <laughs> did you know that I've, it's called a screenplay I, oh really <laughs> <laughs> well they don't teach us that in los angeles <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh i you know, travel around the country some of the time and go see a production of my play. And I have, like, walk into it cold. It's great, and sometimes it's, like, scary, and sometimes they haven't learned their fucking lines, and they're changing all my stuff, and I'm like, oh, my God. And, um, you know, 
it's just like a weird thing that, and some of the time it's like, I go see a student production of a play and think that it's going to be bad and it's better than the one that they did in New York. Like it's really, it's so funny. So I feel like I have a, I have good training for letting go of projects. And that yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So when when you're writing a novel, do you have um, do you come at it like almost from a point of view of a playwright where you 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 envision it that way and then come at it? Um, does, it does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I write from a very intuitive way, so I try to make my generative brain and then my like editorial brain like I have them do a completely different. Thing. So I tend to write a lot of drafts and then I tend to put on like my editor cap and go in. Um, so that's a little bit similar to how I write plays, but I feel like the main thing that has occurred is just that I, um, I think I have an internal sense of like how long things should take now and I feel like I end chapters on like a beat or I or like end chapters on like and lights out (laughs) you know the next day blah 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 um but it's very fun for me to um someone was like would you do the seep as a play I mean I would think it would be really cool if someone would want to do that I don't think that I would know how to because I wanted to write a book partially because I wanted to like explore interiority in a way that, you know, you can't have anyone's personal thoughts on stage unless you, you know, really make it about that and do it in a very considered way. Like it could be done, but I just really loved the idea of like exploring something that's so personal like grief through the point of view of like writing a novel and spending time with this person who she 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 does speak but it's not a it's not a terribly dialogue driven book it then plays are almost all dial dialogue right the um I was just going to ask you a question. I totally forgot because I was totally enamored by it. I'm like, really? I'm trying to, and this is why I love doing this because I just love hearing the process from everybody else. So then I don't feel as much of a weirdo and idiot, you know, in my head. Um, damn it. What was I going to say? I forgot. All this stays in. It doesn't get edited. It's, we're, we're live, so. Great. Great. <laughs> we could start to sing... Uh, Tony from um, West Side Story. Does anyone ever do that? No. No, no. no. I don't even know the Tony. There's a Tony song in West Side Story? I don't remember it. Yeah, it's Maria and Tony. I don't know it very well, but it's beautiful. I thought you were going to say that song by the Pixies is called Tony's Theme. Um, Yeah, yeah. It's like, it goes... Um, this is a song about a superhero named Tony. It's called Tony's Theme. Da, 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 you know, and then I don't know how it goes after that. Is that your... You should have that as some part of the podcast. Right, right. I should have it I, I should have it as my alarm. I wake up to it every day and I like jump out of bed in my cape. 
<laughs> there you go. Have you ever written a play or thought about it? Um, screenplays, but not plays. But I, th- I feel like I would love to write a play because then it's the actors and the stage, and I'm such a fan of theater. And I just love seeing actors. These actors, a great actor at craft, blows my mind. It just and if I had the privilege of writing those words and they took it into a new level, great. I kind of did that on the screenplay thing where I got to be on set the whole time and watch everyone go. Like I was just like looking at the director. I'm like, they're making me look really good. And he's like, they're making us both look good. I'm like, my God, it's just it's a craft that blows my mind that I can never do. Agree. I know. I think that it's really magic, magical, and uh, there's something so incredible about um, theater people. They do it night after night. I mean, it's really like an athletic yes. approach, and you just have to like go there and feel it and be in your body and take care of your body. It's really cool. Yeah, your body is your instrument. It's, uh, you know, like in writing, our brain is more of our instrument. We got, you know, we don't have to look, you know, we don't have to look a certain way to fit into a bunch of different characters. I'm very glad about that. Yeah. I was going to say that you're so close to Jenny's. I think that you should change the title of your show. Instead of having it be Drinks with Tony, you should have it be Ice Cream with Tony. That's a great idea. I love Jenny's. I mean, it could be kind of gross in terms of there might be a lot of like slurping into the microphone. Yeah. So. Well, perverts will probably re- they'll rewind those parts. Or it could be a um, ASMR thing. Have you heard heard about this? No, what's that? You don't know what ASMR is? ASMR. No. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So there's a whole. Uh, okay, I'm going to probably get a lot of things about this wrong and I'm just gonna preface yes. by saying I'm not an an expert okay? okay what I think might be true is that relatively recently like 2010 mm-hmm. through the power of the internet internet a lot of people have started to report that certain sounds especially soft sounds uh-huh. crinkling tapping chewing give them like waves of pleasure throughout their entire bodies yes and now there's all these like youtube channels of people speaking softly into a micro microphone tapping unwrapping things chewing um like this teenage girl got famous about uh making this video of her just like having cookies and milk and it's called like cookies and milk for 12 minutes. And it got like millions of views. Why am I thinking this sounds perverted? Well, okay. So that I mean, it sounds it sounds fetishy. Is that is that what it is? I mean, cuz it it brings like joy to your body. Is it orgasmic joy or is it uh, something else? Well, you've kind of hit the nail on the prover- proverbial head because um this is something that like children do on the internet and it's allowed, you know, they're totally clothed. They're, you know, their parents help them set up these channels. They can make a lot of money, but they are directing it towards 
grown-ups that are feeling pleasure. And I don't have a ASMR, so I can't tell you what it feels like. Oh, so an a- ASMR is something that you have. And then you, and then so say we had the slurping exercise, then that would bring pleasure to people. Right. Oh, okay. I've never heard of this. How have you not heard about this? Okay, so I'm going to do a little crinkle into your microphone now. Oh, wow. And apparently, this is like a good kind of test. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I need a cigarette now. I'm post coital. That was great. But I don't think that it's like an orgasmic feeling. Like, I think that it's a different. Um, it's a different thing and I wonder so this is my like weirdo sci-fi brain and I want to do a project about ASMR in some capacity I want to know is this new like did we as a people did like a fourth of people or something like mutate slightly and it does it have to do with like yeah whatever that has to do with or have people always been like this and just with the power of like one the net but two that we have this like amazing audio equipment now people are just finding out about it or were people like this is something that I felt since I was a child certain sounds made me feel great and I thought that it was just me or I thought that everybody felt like this I just find it very strange yeah it sounds weird to me it's I'm, I'm thinking there's like that ha- like serial killers are going I want to hear you slurp again before I dismember you I, that that's what I got going on in my head yeah but I think it's like that know, might be my problem though too see I take it there and that yeah. might be all me I mean, I don't think you can control it. Like, I think some people have it and some people don't. And I don't think there's, like, an inherent, like, uh, morality attached to it. A friend of mine said that she could taste words. And she had no clue that not that it wasn't for everybody. She did not find out until she was married that, um, that other people don't taste words. I was like, my mind was blown. And of course she would assume that everyone just does it in it because it's in her, you know, zeitgeist. Yeah. I mean, I think... So that's the kind of thing that I want to know about. And it's like... I'm sure that they're in one capacity have always been like these outliers with the human brain. Like people who could like taste color before, you know. Um, I was just talking to someone who hears sounds as like representations of like visual mass like he sees he like hears sounds as shapes you know and he's like a music person so he was like oh this D flat has like all these weird spikes coming out but I wonder I wonder if (laughs) if technology is changing our brains or if we've always been like this or if the cow milk has so much hormones in it that yeah i'm off the cow milk yeah. it's great i got a lot less phlegm yeah, yeah, yeah. it's nice still don't feel complicated about cheese really like pleasure not good at saying no to stuff you uh, know cheese i if they said you have to stop eating cheese i don't know what i would do with my life i would just i would probably find heroin who is they you know them <laughs> That guy. Yeah. 
I don't know. So I've been trying to, with diet and all of this kinds of stuff, I try to embrace the things that I like instead of like taking away things or being punitive, you know? Yeah. So I'm trying to like underline the healthy choices in a celebratory way. Taste the joy. Hannah, thank you so much for being on the show. (laughs) So fun to talk to you, Tony. Thank you so much. And And thank you for reading The Seep. That was Hannah Porter on Drinks with Tony. Check out her debut novel, The Seep. And it's book coaching season. You know what that means. Essentially, I'm taking new clients. But do you have a novel or a memoir in you? Are you at the idea stage? Or have you even written a first draft? Well, I can work with you. Why is that so so insincere? I'm not, I promise. Okay, I teach novel and screenwriting at UCLA Extension. And for $400, we can schedule a four-week book coaching session. Uh, We can do that via Skype or the phone. Go to drinkswithtony.com slash book for more information and to schedule your free phone call. That is drinkswithtony.com slash book. Okay. All right. Next week on Drinks with Tony, we have the fabulous Tom Lutz. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next Wednesday.